Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrew Matišák, and I work as a deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Devi Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not Russian Pravda. The Italian government of Prime Minister Super Mario Draghi collapsed. The echo elections will take place on September 25th. How might the voting be affected by Russian aggression against Ukraine? How pro-Putin are Italian parties and the public? Will Italy turn to Russia after the early election? And what to expect from the far-right leader Giorgia Meloni and her party Brothers of Italy, which leads in the polls, and it seems that Meloni has a realistic chance to become the first Italian female prime minister. I talked to Davide Vampa, a senior lecturer in politics at Aston University. Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. Thank you. For the link, see also the description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Let's start maybe with the kind of a general question. What are the main reasons why Prime Minister Mario Draghi wasn't able to keep his coalition together? The first reason is that we are in a pre-electoral year. The general election was expected to take place in 2023, and usually the months before the general elections are months in which each party tries to position itself in a different way. And so it was already quite challenging for Draghi to keep his coalition together while we were approaching the general election. So that's uh, uh, one of the reasons. The, the second reason is, of course, there are divisions within the coalition regarding uh, Italian's the Italian position towards Russia and uh, the war in Ukraine. There are other internal domestic issues about the economy. We are in a very difficult uh, economic situation at the moment. I mean, not as difficult as during the pandemic, but still the war and uh, the international situation has damaged the Italian economy. And so this has also put pressure on the government. And so, in general, I think Draghi started noticing that there were increasing tensions between parties, but also within parties supporting his government. For example, the Five Star Movement, which was the largest party in parliament, split And that, of course, accelerated the crisis. And so there were a mix of factors, internal, external, that led to the collapse of the government. In the past, he was working in academia. He was governmental official. Of course, he was also the president of the European Central Bank. But how much is he a politician? Draghi was a technocratic prime minister, but of course, he also played a political role. And unlike a previous technocratic prime minister, like for example, Mario Monti, he was leading a political government with political ministers uh, coming from different parties. So he was a technocratic figure, but he was uh, leading a government formed of politicians. And so Draghi used his prestige and also the resources of the recovery plan to advance a reform agenda that 
uh, was strongly shaped by European Union priorities rather than specific parties' uh, political agendas. But at the same time, he had to mediate between different uh, parties. And so he was more political than Mario Monti, for example, 10 years ago, because he had... uh, political ministers. Uh, Monti only had technocratic ministers. So his government was more political in that respect. And so Draghi was more involved in political mediations. And I have to say, towards the end of his government, and this was noticed during his last speech in the Senate, he became more vocal and more confrontational also. So he became more political. And uh, his last speech in the Senate, uh, which then determined the collapse of the government, was perceived uh, as an attack towards the Five Star Movement on the one hand, and also some sector of the of the right, like Berlusconi and Salvini, for example. Let's say that towards the end, towards the end, he became a more political figure, which I think is normal. Being a prime minister is political uh, position. I mean, you cannot be completely immune from political dynamics. Even Monti uh, ended up creating a political party. What about Draghi? Will he do something similar? Or at least will he be a part of the electoral campaign? I don't think he will create a political party and I don't think he will participate directly in the electoral campaign. It's not his style and I don't think that will happen. What can happen is that some political parties, particularly center parties, those parties that were more supportive of his agenda, will use his name and his profile in the electoral campaign. So there will be a kind of indirect participation of Draghi in the electoral campaign. But I don't think, I mean, at, at, at the moment, it doesn't seem likely that Draghi will directly participate in the in the electoral campaign. It's not clear what will happen after the election. Maybe we'll talk about it later, but it's also unclear whether he will stay in government. I mean, the idea is that after the election, he will he will go, he will retire. But, I mean, things might change, so... Yes, yes, a few weeks might be eternity in politics. But if you look at the campaign, a leader of the central-left Democratic Party, Nicoletta, said Russia could try to affect the forthcoming Italian national election on September 25th by spreading fake news on social media to favor pro-Russian parties. Is it a real danger? And what Italian parties would you describe as pro-Russian? Yeah, the spread of fake news has been an issue now for many years in Italian politics, but also, I would say, in European and global politics. Now, I cannot say whether Russia would be able to directly influence the electoral process. I think today there is more awareness of this risk and uh, also of the fact that there might be foreign uh, influence on social media. And so there is more attention to this phenomenon. I would also add that in Italy there is no party that is openly pro-Russian. No party says we are supportive of uh, Russia and Putin. I mean, perhaps a couple of years ago there would be some parties that would be openly supportive of Putin. Today, that's not the case. But of course, I can see a range of positions. Some are clearly supportive of Ukraine. 
and its resistance against Russia, and also stressing the importance of military support. Here I would say that mainly the centrist liberal parties uh, have shown strongest support for Ukraine against Russia, and also the Democratic Party, which is the main center-left parties, has been generally on the side of a tougher stance towards, uh, towards Russia. Surprisingly, I would say that also the right-wing populist Brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia, has been quite supportive of Ukraine against Russia. And this is quite interesting. And Giorgia Meloni, who is the leader of Fratelli d'Italia, has framed her support by focusing on the issue of national sovereignty. So if she framed this in a kind of nationalist rhetoric, definitely Salvini, Matteo Salvini and Silvio Berlusconi on the right are the more ambiguous one when it comes to Russia. So of course they are not openly pro-Russia, but because in the past both leaders had relations with Putin and his entourage, they have been more ambiguous in their position, but no one explicitly supported Russia. What I can see is that there are some parties that say that perhaps there is a need for a mediation, we need to understand the reasons of the other side and so on. So there is a kind of more moderate position on the war. And of course, then there is the Five Star Movement, uh, which I think has been uh, deeply divided on how to deal with, uh, with the Russian issue. And this actually then resulted in a split of the party. The current foreign minister, Italian foreign minister, Luigi Di Maio, is a former member of the Five Star Movement who left the party, accusing it to be too pro-Russian. So the Five Star Movement has probably been the most divided party and indeed it's split in the end. So a lot of positions and uh, shades of grey, I would say. There is not a clear pro-Russian party, but you can see that there are parties that are more prone to mediation and try to find a kind of uh, compromise with Russia. What about the Italians in general? How do they see the conflict? Yeah, well, I don't think that in Italy there is a deep pro-Russian narrative in Italian society. The people really are pro-Russia again. What I see is a growing tension which derives from the growing economic costs of the war. This is something that perhaps we see in other countries as well in, in Europe. So there is a growing sector of the Italian population that is not openly pro-Russian or pro-Putin. In the past, I would say there were more people that were openly pro-Putinist. They saw him as a kind of strong leader. But still, there is a growing sector of, of Italian society and the electorate that uh, would like to see the end of the conflict, even if this involves uh, Ukrainian territorial losses and the annexation of some Ukrainian regions to Russia. Definitely, this is something that is growing. And some parties, those which were more ambiguous during the war, are trying to attract support from these sectors of, of the electorate. You mentioned the far-right party, the Brothers of Italy, and her leader, Giorgia Meloni. It looks that, that, at least according to current polls, there is a good chance that they are going to win the early election. Why is that so? What is Meloni's main political message? And why is the significant part of the Italian electorate ready to listen to her? Well, 
Meloni is very strong in the polls. Her party is actually leading the polls. Uh, so the, her party is called Brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia, which is the first verse of the Italian anthem. Her party is very strong in, because until a week ago, her party was the only major Italian party in opposition. Of course, Brothers of Italy benefited from this strategic position. It attracted support of, of voters who, for various reasons, were unhappy with the Draghi government. Draghi was a popular prime minister, but there was still a substantial sector of the electorate that has never been convinced by this technocratic uh, solution and technocratic leadership. So... Fratelli d'Italia, Brothers of Italy, benefited from that. And it's generally, it seems that Giorgia Meloni uh, was able to attract many former voters of Salvini. Basically, we see a transfer of votes from uh, one right-wing populist party, Salvini's Lega, which was constrained by its participation in the Grand Coalition supporting Draghi. So these votes moved to Giorgia Meloni. So there is basically, there has been a, a transfer between these two right-wing parties. Meloni, by, by staying in opposition, has been able to convey the idea of ideological purity. Meloni was able to compete with, with Salvini. Giorgia Meloni has, has a, has, is not a new politician. She has been around for various... She started very young and, and she, she was also a minister in one of Berlusconi's governments in the past. And she belongs to a long right-wing tradition in Italy, which has its roots in uh, the post-fascist movement. Meloni, Giorgia Meloni, has uh, often said that fascism belongs to the past. Uh, these are old categories from the past that no longer apply to her political project. She tried to distance herself from, from, this, uh, from this legacy. However, it is clear that some of the people that are close to the leader, to her, to the leader of, of Brothers of Italy, have emerged politically from environments that are very close to the far right and even the post-fascist right. So there are some kind of connections there. And Meloni's political message is definitely inspired by some of the themes that are common across the European populist right. Nationalism, nativism, which also means anti-immigration positions, support for traditions, traditional family against LGBT rights, for example. So this is the traditional repertoire of the populist radical right. What about her positions towards the EU and NATO? I would say that in general, the positions of the of the right, and here I also include I also include Salvini. They are very ambiguous because in the past, uh, definitely these parties were more Eurosceptic, but this has changed. So it's le it's not very clear, <laughs> um, and the, and this also makes it very difficult to predict what would happen if Meloni becomes prime minister. Definitely during the Ukrainian war. Meloni, surprisingly, has been very supportive of Ukraine. In this respect, she is different from Salvini, who has been, of, of course, Salvini has supported Draghi as prime minister, but he has also been quite ambiguous in his position towards Russia and Berlusconi as well. So, yeah, it's very difficult to apply 
clear categories when it comes to foreign policy to these parties. Who knows? It really depends on how the situation evolves internationally and how convenient it is to go against the European Union. Of course, now it's less convenient to go against the European Union because Italy is benefiting from the recovery fund, from the money that is coming from the European Union. But if the situation changed, say there is another new economic crisis, new constraints are imposed by the European Union, fiscal constraints and so on, then there might be a resurgency of anti-EU feelings. It really depends on the economic uh, and, and international context. So how much should the EU be worried about the prospect of Meloni becoming Italian prime minister? It seems the Italian populist right is ready to cooperate, but Meloni, as, as you suggested, is also Salvini's political rival. Internationally, politicians like Hungary's prime minister Viktor Orban We're betting on Salvini. I think it's still too early to predict what would happen after the election and what would happen with a different government. So I don't want to to say things that then will be wrong by the reality. But what I can say is that in the end, Italian anti-establishment politicians have often then changed their positions. So it's not the first time that we have new politicians, anti-establishment politicians who gained power. We had Berlusconi, we had the Five Star Movement, we had a government with the Five Star Movement and the Lega. And in the end, all these anti-establishment politicians have been constrained by the European Union and by the international context in their actions and have changed their positions. They have become more moderate. And the Five Star Movement is a clear example of that. In the end, the, the Five Star Movement even imploded and and Many observers would think, yes, I mean, it might be worrying for the European Union if Giorgia Meloni becomes prime minister, but then the European Union has also shown a certain degree of pragmatism and uh, it has in the past been able to, to deal with these leaders. Of course, you never know. <laughs> it can be that uh, Giorgia Meloni, unlike the Five Star Movement, is a much more solid politician. So she's more experienced. She might be more able to implement her political program, which in some respects goes against some of the liberal agenda that is promoted at the European Union level and by the mainstream parties. So that could happen. It's also unclear whether she will become prime minister. There are divisions even on the centre-right. I mean, now, after Draghi collapsed, they kind of regrouped. They they are trying to reform a, a right-wing coalition with Berlusconi, Salvini and Meloni. But Berlusconi and Salvini are not so... Uh, supportive of the idea of having Giorgia Meloni as prime minister if she if uh, her party becomes the largest Italian party. So there will be tensions there. So it's not so clear that she will become prime minister. And uh, regarding Orban, it's true that in the past there were strong links between uh, Salvini and Orban, but Meloni, Giorgia Meloni, also met Orban in the past. And I think I don't know, I, I'm not an expert of uh, Orban thought and uh, what what uh, his uh, uh, political strategies are, but for him, from his point of view, it doesn't really make a big difference whether there is a Meloni or a Salvini in power, so long as there is someone who reflects his uh, idea of illiberal democracy and um, conservative nationalist uh, position. 
David, I have to ask about 85-year-old Silvio Berlusconi. How many times he has been dead politically? But it seems he's still an important political player, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Berlusconi is uh, definitely one of the most resilient politicians in Italian history, I would say in European history. He has been around for almost 30 years. He was already quite old when he became a politician. I mean, he was in his 50s. And uh, who would have thought that after 30 years we're still talking about Berlusconi? It's true. He, he is resilient. He still plays a role in, uh, in Italian politics. He played a role when Draghi became prime minister. He played a role now that Draghi resigned. So he plays a strong role in Italian politics. Of course, today Berlusconi is weaker than 10 years ago and 20 years ago. But it still has uh, a lot of political influence, in particular on the right. And uh, he somehow he is able, he has been able to act as a kind of unifying figure on the right, on the center right. If now the right is able to recreate a coalition, is also thanks to Berlusconi and the fact that he's able always to create the conditions for a coalition. That would, uh, doesn't mean necessarily that the, the right-wing coalition will, will survive. It might collapse, it might break. I mean, this happened also in the past. But usually before the elections, Berlusconi is always able to create a kind of right-wing rally. He's not leading this rally now because his party is much weaker than it used to be. But still, it's very interesting to see that a figure like Berlusconi is still, still quite, quite influential. At the same time, we should highlight the fact that his party, Forza Italia, is also very weak now. And many important members of his own party have left the, the party after Draghi resigned because they didn't agree with uh, Berlusconi's position during the crisis. And they accused Berlusconi of being too close to the populist right. So basically they they see Berlusconi's party as being too yeah populist and right wing as well. Let's remember that Berlusconi's party is within the the European People's Party. So is at the European level Berlusconi's party is in the same parties as Angela Merkel's well the CDU or the moderate Christian Democrats uh, in Europe. This is a problem uh, for, for the party and some members left because they think that now Forza Italia is too much dominated by the populist right, by Giorgia Meloni and by Matteo Salvini. At the end of our conversation, I would like to come back to Mario Draghi. His nickname is Super Mario. You said that he was quite the popular prime minister, but nevertheless, his government lasted less than two years. Is Draghi living with some political legacy? Or was his government perhaps an interesting episode, but still just an episode? I don't know. It's it's perhaps too early to say, because often you appreciate the existence of a legacy after a few years, because you have a more of historical perspective. At this stage, the situation is too chaotic to say whether there will be a legacy of Mario Draghi. Some reforms were approved and passed during the last year and a half, also linked to the recovery fund and so on. So there has been a process of reforms. But I mean, Italy has been in a process of constant reforms from since it joined the Eurozone. 
it has been it's it's been part of a process of reform which has never ended so we are in an end, a never ending process of of reform and restructuring i don't think that draghi resolved many important issues that are still relevant uh, in italy but i mean it would have been very difficult to resolve issues that date back to the 1980s within one year two years i mean I, i i think it was difficult to reconcile different positions of very different parties and indeed in the end uh, his uh, government uh, collapsed might be that after the election if there is no clear majority he, he might be back in which case perhaps he will be able to continue his uh, program and that will allow him to have a stronger clear legacy in Italian politics and society and economy more generally. Yeah, we had technocratic prime ministers in the past. We had Monti, Ciampi in the 90s. They approved some important uh, emergency reforms, but they didn't manage to structurally change Italian economy and and, and the, the whole system. For that, we would need, uh, I think, a more political government and uh, a more stable government. And stability is something that is very scarce in the Italian system. Uh, We have governments that change every two years, one year, two years. So it's very difficult to build something in such a short period of time. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.